Last week I mentioned that the first sermon that I ever preached and how nervous I was. It didn't occur to me uh, last week that I would be preaching on Jesus' first recorded sermon. And I wonder if he was nervous the first time he preached. I'm sure he was not. He was humble, but full of confidence in God. To, pre- to be precise, this was not the first sermon that Jesus ever preached uh, that Owen just read. Uh, rather, it is his first recorded sermon. After he had finished his 40 days of being tempted, he then went out and preached all over the, the region of Galilee. And he had gained such a significant reputation before he came home to Nazareth that um, the people were waiting in great expectation to hear his sermon. Verses 14 and 15 make it quite clear that he had preached um, well before, uh, many times before he came to Nazareth. So verse 14 and 15, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Verses 14 and 15 uh, not only tell us that he went about preaching in the Galilee region before he came to Nazareth, it also tells us two things about Jesus' method for doing ministry. First of all, we learn that Jesus ministered in the power of the Spirit. Again, verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. It was because Jesus ministered in the power of the Spirit that His ministry was recognized as different from the typical ministry of the the priest and the Pharisees that ministered in the Galilee region. Verse 15 tells us, that Jesus' ministry was a teaching ministry. There's no mention of him doing miracles at this point. In fact, John's gospel tells us specifically that Jesus' first miracle was changing the water into wine, and that didn't happen until weeks or maybe even months after Jesus preached in Nazareth. So the power of Jesus' ministry was only expressed not through miracles, but rather it was expressed in his teaching ministry at this early period. And it was not just the content of Jesus' teaching that left such a powerful impression upon the people, but it was also the power of the Spirit at work in him as he preached. When a preacher or a teacher is ministering in the power of the Spirit, the person becomes a channel through which the Spirit is working. When a person is ministering in the power of the Spirit, it means that they are not only just relying on themselves, not just relying on their powers of of communication uh, or their their, um, powers of logic. It means that God is the true secret. For their success. In fact, the Apostle Paul said as much in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The Apostle Paul said, And I, when I came to you, 
did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith not, might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God." Paul was a smart guy. I believe he was a genius. But he did not rely on his smarts. He didn't rely on his powers of communication. He knew that since even Jesus did not rely on himself and on his gifts, but depended upon the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul knew, how much more should I, as an apostle, as one sent from Jesus, uh, rely on the power of the Spirit rather than on my own gifts and powers. See, Paul wanted his teaching, he wanted his preaching to be a prim- be primarily a demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that his converts would not place their faith in him as they were tempted to do if you read on in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But rather... He wanted them to place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Likewise, we must not ever rely on our own efforts or on our own gifts. Um, We must rely on God to empower us by His Holy Spirit. I don't want any of my sermons or any of my teaching to be a demonstration of my communication skills or my powers of persuasion, such that they are. Um, I only want Jesus to use me to proclaim Him so that unbelievers might trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that believers might grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't create faith in Jesus Christ in another person. I can't cause anyone to grow in Christ. That's God's work. And so I need to always rely on God's Spirit. You too need to rely on God's Spirit. The Spirit's work is not limited to the preacher alone. Parents. Do you want the the Holy Spirit to empower you as you teach your children the Holy Scriptures? Or are you sufficient by yourselves? Sunday school teachers, do you just show up and teach the children while leaving God on the sideline of your life? When you're witnessing to your co-worker or your neighbor or your friend or your relative... Are you content to go it alone? Or do you want God to empower your witness? Brothers and sisters, lean upon the Holy Spirit. Don't try to live the Christian life on your own. Don't try to, to, to be a minister for Christ, whether in evangelism or as a parent or as a Sunday school teacher or whatever calling God has given you. Lean upon the Holy Spirit. The first thing we learn about Jesus' method 
is that he relied on the power of the Holy Spirit for the power in his ministry. The second thing we learn is that Jesus Christ prioritized the ministry of preaching and teaching. Verse 15 says that Jesus taught in their synagogues. He didn't go out into the fields to start with. It wasn't until the crowds got so large that he was forced out of the synagogues out into the fields. He began in the synagogues taught in their synagogues. It was a teaching ministry. He prioritized the preaching and the teaching. Verses 18 and 19 said that the Messiah would proclaim the good news to the poor, that he would proclaim liberty to the captives, and that he would proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, the leading edge of Jesus' ministry was preaching and proclaiming, or we could say Um, or, or teaching and proclaiming, or we could say preaching. Teaching and preaching were not just prominent at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. His preaching and teaching did not give way to miracles. Uh, even His miracles were subordinate to His teaching and preaching. He taught the people about His identity as the Son of God, He taught the people about the glory of God. He taught the people about their fallen nature as sinners. He taught people con um, concerning His coming death and resurrection. He taught people of their need to be reconciled to God. And He didn't just teach. He called them to come to God. He proclaimed the gospel. And He did it always in the power of the Spirit. Following Jesus' priorities. The church must always be a place of teaching and preaching. We can't threaten people into heaven. We cannot manipulate people into trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. We can't force people into having a relationship with God. We can only preach. We can only teach the gospel according to the Scriptures. The gospel And the gospel alone is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That is our calling. To proclaim Jesus. To proclaim His gospel. To proclaim His holy scriptures. Our Lord Jesus Christ came to bring a spiritual deliverance from the power of sin. It's only through the gospel, uh, His good news, that people receive the gospel. Preaching and teaching is at the heart of what the church is called to do. We can't be sidetracked or distracted from this. The heart of our method for our ministry here at Westminster Presbyterian Church must be preaching and teaching the gospel because it is the priority in God's method, for gathering the elect and growing His saints. And it's not just from this pulpit. In your homes, fathers, you are to be proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ to your family. In your workplace, you are to be loving your co-workers with the love of Christ and telling them about Jesus Christ, your King and Savior. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, 
The gospel must be on your lips. Not in isolation from the power of the Holy Spirit, but your relationship with God should drive your preaching and your teaching. Preach and teach. Share the gospel in the power of the Spirit. So we've examined Christ's method. Let's look at his ministry, or rather the message of Jesus' ministry. When Jesus returned home, he was somewhat of a celebrity. And so it's not surprising that uh, he would have been asked to preach. In fact, because, you know, it's the, uh, the hometown boy uh, making good, uh, the, 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 the synagogue was likely packed to overflowing. So verse 16, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Then verse 17, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, And then I'm going to skip down to verse 20 and 21. After he had read the scripture, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. We know a great deal about the synagogue worship in Jesus' day. They would have started the uh, service with singing a few psalms, some of the Hallel psalms, the Praise praise God psalms, uh, to translate that Hebrew word. And then they would have read a um, pre-selected portion of the Torah, one of the five first books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy. They would have read from one of those books. And then the preacher would have had his choice from one of the prophets from which to read and to preach. And so Jesus chose Isaiah. The reading was a combination of Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, and Isaiah 58, verse 6. To honor God's word, Jesus stood up to read the Holy Scriptures. But then, a little different than than we do, he sat down in a chair to preach. That would be kind of constraining for me to sit down in a chair. You know, I, I don't want, I'm already restrained. I don't want anything else that's going to restrain me. In fact, I've been telling my wife that I'm going to start wearing suspenders so that I can bellow without any restraints whatsoever. I've bought the suspenders, they're hanging in my closet, and uh, someday soon. So anyway, he would sit down to preach. Um, The passage in Isaiah 61 refers to the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, God commanded Israel to celebrate the year of Jubilee by returning uh, the property, the, the family property that may have been sold because of debts. That was returned back to the family. All debts were to be forgiven in the year of Jubilee. And all slaves were to be freed from their slavery. The word jubilee means release. So every 50 years there would be this year of jubilee. God had commanded it um, back in um, the book of Leviticus. The year of jubilee was a picture 
of the coming salvation when sinners would be returned in their relationship to God. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. The year of Jubilee is a picture of returning back to the original inheritance, the original land that uh, Adam and Eve had lived, where they had lived. And so the year of Jubilee, a picture of the coming salvation, where sinners would be restored to their place in God's family, where all sins would be forgiven, where sin's enslaving power would be broken. The passage in Isaiah was speaking about this ultimate Jubilee when the Messiah would bring the eternal and everlasting freedom from guilt and from the power of sin. The passage from Isaiah 61 is overtly messianic. All the Jewish religious leaders understood that Isaiah in chapter 61 was talking about the Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. And so we read in verse 18, uh, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And then also notice these personal pronouns uh, in verse 18. He is anointed, or the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And so when Jesus read this passage and rolled up the scroll and began his sermon by saying, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He was making an open declaration that he was the Messiah. As the Messiah, he came to proclaim good news to the poor. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the, to the blind. He came to set at liberty those who were oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is quite an agenda that the Lord Jesus has. And then in verse 21, He said He fulfilled this passage just by showing up. Most of the town of Nazareth was poor. Jesus preached in their synagogue. He fulfilled Isaiah 61 in their hearing. And after He finished preaching, they remained poor. Uh, Gobs of money did not suddenly appear in their checking account. Later in His ministry, Jesus healed the sight of many blind people. But He didn't do it on that day. The slaves in Nazareth were not released on that day. In other words, Jesus is promising a spiritual deliverance, a freedom from the empowering, from the enslaving power of sin. Christians must be concerned for the poor? Absolutely. Christians should be concerned for the oppressed. They should be concerned for those with special needs or challenges. But our leading goal for all people must be that they be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Be reconciled to God. Our message to the poor, our message to the captive, our message to the downtrodden must, that, must be that Jesus Christ can make sinners to be rich 
in His grace. That Jesus Christ can liberate all those who are under bondage to sin. That Jesus Christ brings refreshment to the most downtrodden soul. To quote Jesus Himself, He said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When Jesus finished, or when Jesus began his first recorded sermon, he said, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your presence. He's basically saying, I am the gospel. Jesus is saying that he was the good news that was sent from God. That he is the anointed one. That he is the Messiah. There are three applications that flow right out of this passage. The first application is that the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus' ministry empowers us to proclaim Christ powerfully. Lean upon Him. Seek His presence that you will be yourself a powerful witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't overlook prayer. Don't overlook seeking His presence. He promises you His Holy Spirit. Second application is that we cannot overlook the physical needs of the poor or the oppressed. As Christ's followers, we are called to be people who love others. Christ's spiritual salvation leads His people to minister to the material needs of those who are in need, while at the same time pointing them to the only one who can meet the deepest and the most important needs for their soul. And then third and last... um, Last application is that Jesus can save us regardless of our need. We could paraphrase verse 18 by saying that Jesus came to save the lowest of the low. That he came to save the neediest of the needy. The poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. The reason Isaiah mentioned these people was because they were on the bottom rung of society. They had the most needs that needed to be met. And Jesus is saying, I came to meet their needs. If He can meet their needs, if He can meet them in their need and save them, He can save anyone. There are none here who are beyond Christ's reach. If you feel as if you are the lowest of the low because of your sin, Jesus came for you. If you are captive to the oppressive power of sin, Jesus can set you free. No matter how many decades you have been seeking freedom from the sin that so easily entangles. He can give you uh, power by His Spirit to resist temptation and to pursue a holy life. As you pursue Him. If you are blinded to the grace of God. If you don't understand what it means to be a Christian. To have a relationship with God. He came to open blind eyes. 
Ask Him to open the eyes of your heart. Ask Him to give you spiritual understanding of His love for sinners. And if you were oppressed by your guilt, if you're oppressed by anything, Christ can set you at liberty by forgiving you of all your sin as we pray together. Lord Jesus, just by showing up, you fulfilled Isaiah 61. You truly are the gospel. For there is no one and no name given under heaven by which a man or a woman, a boy or a girl can be saved. For you alone are the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Him. Lord, I ask that you would help us to lean upon you. Lean upon your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live our lives as more than conquerors through Him who loved us by living in the power of your Spirit. Do it, Lord. For I know that you um, take joy in pouring out your Spirit among and upon your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.